Hey everybody, this is Robin Steele. Welcome to the Made Meaningful Podcast. On this episode, it's a little bit different. My wife is actually not with me and we're not going to have a conversation today, but I do want to give you a sneak peek of a chapter in my new book, How to Be Made Whole. I just finished the audio version of the book, which will come out on September 15th with the Kindle or digital version and the actual paperback, but uh, there will be an audio version on audible.com or you can order it on Amazon. As Nacho Libre would say, a little taste, a little taste of the glory to see what it tastes like. Okay, so here you go. Here is chapter three of How to Be Made Whole. Chapter 3, 30 Weeks. In 2001, my wife Erica and I loved life. We had been married for two years and were moving along life's path at the classic American pace. I had my degree in marketing and Erica was pursuing a career as a midwife. We were deeply involved at our local church. We had close personal friends and we were ready to start having kids. We felt as though we had all the necessary life tools and were prepared for anything. Our life above the surface was beautiful, and anyone sailing by could easily admire the scenery of our life. We found ourselves sitting in a doctor's corner office as sunshine beamed through the large windows. It was September 25th, 2001, and we were getting the worst news of our life. When expecting your first baby, you don't want to have an appointment with an obstetrician specializing in high-risk pregnancies. Erica is such a huge advocate of natural birth that she didn't want to be at a doctor's office at all. But a week prior, I had made the decision that we were going to have a sonogram simply to confirm our baby's health and that he or she was on the right schedule. We wanted to make sure that everything looked normal with no concerns. After all, Erica was almost eight months pregnant and we were planning to have this baby at home. It took her a year to convince me that home birth was viable, so at a bare minimum, I wanted a clean bill of health. I was working as a youth pastor at my home church, so we had to figure out a cheap way to have a sonogram performed. A friend of ours worked at the community college and let us know of their free sonogram program. Well, that fit our budget. So we were excited about the procedure And we decided that we did not want to know the sex of the baby. We only wanted to know the status of his or her health. And of course, we were sure that that was going to be good. About 40 minutes into the sonogram, we started having our first concerns. Because the nursing students kept going in and out of the room. The instructor walked in to inspect the screen. They whispered to each other on the side, and finally she said, we don't see something that we should, and we'd like for you to go see this doctor. She slipped us a piece of paper with the name of one of Austin's most well-known neonatal obstetricians scribbled on it. We called his office immediately, and we got an appointment for that afternoon. At that point, we were kicking ourselves for securing an appointment at the community college, This was the one time we should have splurged and gone to a real doctor. 
They're inexperienced. They don't know much. They're students after all, we told ourselves. We'll visit the doctor's office. He'll say that it was all a misunderstanding and the college had inferior equipment. While we waited for our next appointment, I drove to the church for a few hours and stuck my head in the senior pastor's office. He said, how'd the sonogram go? Nonchalantly, I mentioned the student's assessment and we both agreed that I would go back to the next appointment and everything would be placed back in order. Erica eagerly greeted me in the waiting room, rubbing her pregnant belly. I know as all good moms do. We walked into the examination room and a very competent, courteous technician completed a second sonogram. Then the doctor entered. He looked thoroughly at the baby and he asked us to follow him back to his office. And I'm not sure if you've ever been to the principal's office, but this walk felt very similar. Being asked to the doctor's office has to be one of the worst invitations you can receive. We entered into the office and sat down. He looked across his desk and compassionately said, Our concerns were confirmed with this sonogram. The something that the community college had not seen was your baby's brain. He continued to say that our baby had severe hydrocephalus and would be born with serious birth defects. In layman's terms, hydrocephalus is water on the brain. This condition is caused when the natural fluid in the brain does not drain effectively. Now, we all have fluid on our brain, but our healthy body drains the fluid at the perfect rate. Our child's fluid was not draining, and therefore the brain was quite literally being forced out against our baby's skull. This fluid had severely limited the development of the brain, and our child would most likely be unable to talk or walk or eat independently. In addition, there was a strong chance that our baby would be born deaf and blind. Surgery was to immediately follow this birth to install a shunt, a device that drains the excess fluid off of the brain. Now, as the doctor went on to explain the birth defect and prognosis, I felt as if I were dreaming. My head was spinning. I pinched my arm in hopes of waking up from a nightmare. Tears quietly streamed down Erica's cheeks. For the first 15 minutes, I was in complete shock and denial. I wanted to walk out of the room and start all over again. Thoughts ricocheted against the walls of my finite mind at a thousand miles per hour. Surely you have this wrong. Let's try the sonogram again. At this point, I said, please tell us the sex of the baby. If we're traveling this path, we want to know everything about the baby. He managed to give us a little smile and say, it's a girl. Then he gave us two options. The first option was to continue seeing him for weekly sonograms to monitor the baby's progress. We would also begin genetic testing to see if the problem was hereditary. Then a C-section delivery would be scheduled around 38 weeks of pregnancy. Option two shocked us. The doctor said that if we chose not to continue the pregnancy, we could travel to Kansas for a late-term abortion. Only two or three states perform abortions after 30 weeks, and Texas was not one of them. So after hearing both options, it took us 
moments to realize that we only had one option, we would be getting to know this doc a whole lot better over the next few weeks. We called our parents and our pastor. And thank God we had parents and a pastor on speed dial. Back in 2001, there was this thing called speed dial. That first night, we had dinner with my sister and her husband who were also expecting their first child. I remember everything about that night. We ate pasta while sitting on the patio of the brick oven restaurant. We slowly walked through all the details that we could recall. It was a somber night, and yet it was incredibly comforting to have family to share in this burden with us. After dinner, we returned home and it all began to sink in. I went into the bathroom and shut the door. I slid down the wall and cried on the floor. I began to grieve the loss of our child. Not that she had died, but that our dreams of her future had died. Many people called saying they were praying and that everything was going to be all right. We're here with you. You can make it. You're not alone, they said. Even after the initial test, we had hopes that this would all go away. We thought we would pray, believe, and get the results we wanted. We faithfully attended each weekly sonogram with the anticipation of good news. Instead, the doctor gently informed us that our daughter's condition was worsening. Several weeks after the initial diagnosis, our faith, our hope, our optimism eroded and we were at the point of brokenness. We had lost every fiber of control. There was nothing we could do to change the problem. Before the diagnosis, we were able to change life situations with a little focus and hard work. If things were not going our way, we could pull life up by the bootstraps and get busy. Ultimately, over time, the situation at hand would change under the force of our persistence. But now that was out of question. Neither surgery nor therapy would fix this. The relentless barrage of bad news plunged us way below the surface of our public conscious lives. As Christians, we sometimes feel that if our lives are not put together, we failed at being a good person. We failed God and those around us. It's tempting to fake it until you make it. However, this was not the situation we could hide from in the public and pretend as though everything was okay. Instead, this birth defect had the potential of wrecking everything. We faced the reality that our world was completely changing. I could not grow taller, study harder, take better medicine, or practice more. I could not fix this. I could not implement the tried and true work harder formula I had been using to master my destiny. I could do nothing. I also could not stay above the waterline. For the first time in my existence, I felt I was plunged way below the surface of my life. Okay, everybody, there you go. There's chapter three. I hope that it spoke to you in some regard really believing that God's going to use this book to make a difference in people's lives. Bring the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. So 
would love for you to subscribe to our Made Meaningful podcast. would love for you to review it. Many of you have been listening and sharing it. Thank you so much for that. And I promise you this, Erica will be with us on the next episode. So come on back for that. All right. Love you guys. See you then.